Hi, everyone, and welcome to Murder and Merlot. We are a true crime book club podcast. I'm your host, Tara. And I'm your host, Michelle. How's it going, Michelle? Uh, It's going great, but I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. No kidding. (laughs) It's been almost three weeks since we last recorded. Yeah, but actually in that time, Tara and I got to see each other face to face. Crazy. We had a lunch date. It was amazing. It's the first time we've really seen each other since COVID started. Yes, we've seen each other one other time, and that is when I played my stereo outside of your house for you. Right. But that was- door drop. Yes, for the door drop. We were very far away, had a quick chat, but this is the first time we actually had a date since March. Which is insane. Like we see each other every week, but it's it's not the same. Like we still get to talk, but it's not quite the same. So that was lovely. It was great. And you know, Tara gave me a beautiful bottle of wine for my birthday and right. Yeah. And James and it, was there. And so I had and, a date with James. Yes. He was very happy to have a date with Tara. <laughs> yeah, he's the cutest. <laughs> I love him. So fun. Yeah. We got to catch up on lots of stuff because man, a lot of stuff has happened since the last yeah. time we recorded. Yeah. And especially recorded a big episode. We've thrown a couple yeah, news is in there, but yeah, in a, a mini episode. One. But uh, yeah, since our Waco series ended, we haven't yeah. done a big catch up book, all the things. Yeah, a book episode, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, so this is super exciting. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and I'm excited to sit back and listen to you talk about this crazy story. Bring out my inner gangsta. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's in there. We all know it. Yep. <laughs> And uh, hopefully my audio is okay because I am in my brand new podcast studio that I made in my house and I'm so excited about it. And it's so cute, guys. So cute. Super cute. And I think my favorite part is above my desk is a David Koresh God Rocks t-shirt and my own Waco Survivor Story book signed by David Thibodeau sitting up there. And don't forget the stickers. And the stickers. Because guys, I've been emailing David Thibodeau and I got a shirt and a book from him and I'm super psyched. Insane. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of feels. Couldn't believe it. Like, oh my God, I'm actually talking to you. This is the best day ever. Yep. Tara literally called me in tears and was like, I I can't even. (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. Hopefully I can talk to him some more because I mean- it's the coolest thing in the whole world. Totally cool. Totally cool. Oh my Love God. Love it. Yes. So that's one thing that's happened. Yeah. What else has happened? Well, we went I mean, on it's... a bit of a September sabbatical, as that's, you guys yeah. know. <laughs> the last two weeks we haven't posted and we apologize for it, but lots of things have been going on. Oh yeah. Like yeah. my kids started school. Mm-hmm. My husband and I went on a trip to the mountains. We climbed a mountain. We got caught in a wildfire which mm-hmm. let me tell you, that was a, a little intense. And I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little scary. <laughs> and what else happened? Oh, I, you were in a wedding. Host, I hosted, yeah, I was in yes. a wedding. I hosted a baby shower. I hosted a stay out. I was in this crazy wedding. It was like, mm. there's uh, my birthday was in there. Like, yes, your birthday oh my God, was, was there. So many things. So and many. then you escaped to Northern Saskatchewan. Yes. Yeah. I went on a flying fishing trip and it was fantastic. And so that's why I was posting about bears is because this is also (laughs) a very heavily bear populated area and actually really funny. So we were staying this amazing cabin, loved it. And it was so peaceful. And so waiting for our plane to fly in on the last day, I'm sitting there and I'm reading this incredible book that um, Cheryl, our friend, gave both of us because she saw it and thought of us. And it's all about skeletons that have been found in Alberta and uh, kind of the story behind them. And it was, it was the best. So. I just finished the book. I was in that moment of bliss when you, you know, finish the last page and you put it down and you're like, "Ah, that was great. And then I look up and right at the window, there was a bear standing on its hind legs, just with its arms up in the air. Like, Hey, (laughs) there you guys, (laughs) Hey, you guys standing at the window. And I was like, Oh my God there's a bear, <laughs> which would have been great and fun and cute. And it was adorable. But also, um, where's my husband? Where's uh, his cousin? Where are the children? Oh, the front door is open. Maybe we should go secure the premises before we, you know, start looking at the cute bear and thinking it's all cute. <laughs> yeah, maybe just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So that was super fun. I quite 
enjoyed that, but it was a little like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you're here. Yep. Cool. Little, little too close for comfort, but hey. It's I okay. mean, I I had a similar experience, but it was with a giant ass spider in my barn. So oh not wow, quite <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just imagining that same exact scenario, but instead of a bear, there's a spider standing at the window, like hey. It's exactly what I felt like. I was just like walking through my barn, and then I was like, oh, okay, oh, oh damn, you own the place now because you are that big. Just like throw some keys at it. Like there you go. Like have fun. Well, We'll pay you our month's rent. Like, right? Feel free fine. to redecorate. It's fine. You do it's you. It's fine. And you know what's big? Because my husband is not afraid of spiders, but he's like, uh, you need to not go in the barn. And I was no. like, no, we've met. We have an agreement. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> We're now acquaintances. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, we'll add each other on Facebook, but we probably won't ever talk again. But we'll, no. you know, no. we'll keep up with each other's lives. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, need to know what, what's going on with them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mostly so you can keep your distance. And mostly so I can know where they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so that's yeah. the majority of the things that have happened. Now it's spooky September season. Sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah. I love spooky season. We're excited. We're going to do some spooky stuff because it's spooky season. So it's spooky season. We have to. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're excited about our next few episodes here yeah and you know this one because it's gonna and be fun. this one speaking of which we shall yeah. move on yeah did just want to touch base about our last mini episode that was more like a full episode but there was no book involved <laughs> yeah i guess we should <laughs> that was oklahoma city bombing and i called it i made my mama cry mm-hmm Yep. I haven't heard if I made anybody else cry, but I definitely made my mom cry. So, well, that's not surprising, but I feel like we no. probably got some other ones in there too. They just, I'm we're too proud to say anything. Hey man, I cried on the air. So right. Don't be too proud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And I've had just a fair amount of comments that were just simply, I remember that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I remember where I was or my baby was six months old when that happened. Right. right? And yeah, yeah, totally. Which is interesting because I like that that's the response you got because you also had that experience and you remembered that day and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then from my side, of course I don't. And so from what I heard from people was, you know, I didn't know that much about it or whatever, mm -hmm. kind of the exact same experience that I had with the story. I heard a lot of feedback from my friends, the same thing, that they had no idea. They had heard about it, but not known the details, just like me. Oh, cool. So, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. So two different, uh, two different sides to it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. We mm -hmm. love you guys' responses. So just keep, keep telling us how you, how you feel about the episodes. We love that. So yeah, absolutely. And we had our awesome fluff and stuff question from that episode. Mm -hmm. And Oh my God, you guys made me so hungry. Oh, I know. Like, <laughs> I looked over the comments again before we, were, we started recording and I'm like, I just ate a full meal and damn it, I'm hungry again. Like every comment, eat that. Oh yeah, that too. Yep. Sounds oh, good. Yeah, that too. Mm -hmm. So if you don't remember, our question was, what would your last meal be? But seriously, you guys are a bunch of foodies. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. Love it. Um, on Facebook, Clara said bruschetta starter, pasta with the creamy garlic sauce, and something salty caramelly for dessert, which, mm. yes, didn't even Love. think of a starter. Yeah, that's a whole nother <laughs> level. Right? <laughs> I was blown away by the idea of dessert. <laughs> right? I forgot about appetizers as well. And like, man, we did not do our last meal well. <laughs> no, I should have put a lot more thought into it. <laughs> But, you know, the only thing that comes to my mind is poutine. It's got to be poutine, poutine. Well, naturally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Starter, main, and dessert. Poutine. Poutine. <laughs> uh, Angela said beef tacos, maybe like six, and a warm churro with caramel. Which, again, yum. Yeah. Hell yeah. All I want is a warm churro now. Totally. Also, yeah. do you say caramel or do you say caramel? I think you usually say caramel. Caramel? I said caramel. I'm always, I go between the two, yeah. whatever I'm feeling that day. I feel like it's a heavily, caramel? Caramel? It's a, I don't know. 
I know. I don't know either. I feel like it's a heavily debated topic and people have strong feelings about it. And I'm just like, eh, it's whatever. Whatever kind of decides to come out that day, right? Um, Ashley said seafood fettuccine, cheesy garlic toast with sex in a pan. Mm. And yes. Hell yeah. She, okay. Ashley is my best friend. She is my sister. She is my person. And for my birthday, she made me sex in a pan and Aww. it was delightful. An so angel. yeah, I know. And she gave me wine. Oh, the best. Wine and sex I in a pan. <laughs> Did you dump your wine bottle into the pan as well and mix it around? No. Okay. No. Just checking. I was like, wow, that's you go, girl. You do you. It's your birthday. Oh, too funny. Love it. <laughs> and lastly, Colin said. All you can eat anything. Just because they get you for murder doesn't mean you can't get them on a technicality. Which I love. Love it. Thank you, Colin. Yes. <laughs> You're a genius. <laughs> and Colin, we are very sorry. We went on a hiatus. Mm-hmm. We are back in action. <laughs> we are back. I think he's the only person that actually noticed and cared that we didn't <laughs> upload for a couple weeks. So we appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we should just get into it. Yeah, I think so. All right. I'm going to do the thing. (laughs) Do the thing. Do it. Okay, friends, grab your glass and get cozy. Let's talk about murder. Tink. (laughs) We really committed to that cheers together to our phones. (laughs) (laughs) Just like every time we end our episodes, we go, bye. And we wave really big to each other other. as if we're actually like just going to that's it. Hang up Stop the phone. The that's it. Hang up the phone. <laughs> no further. Stop how it goes. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about this one. I mentioned in one of our early episodes that these two cases were basically my true crime guilty pleasure. As a general rule, I hate unsolved cases, but this one has so many layers and working parts that it's hard not to get sucked into the madness. From the crazy life of hip-hop gangsters, the East Coast versus West Coast gang wars of the 1990s, as well as police corruption and possible involvement, not to mention some of the most iconic music to come from the rap industry. This is the murders of Tupac Shakur and the notorious B.I.G. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love how many times we have said while recording, as a general rule, I hate unsolved cases, but, <laughs> and then we continue Here's to talk about how much we love exceptions. this. exceptions. <laughs> Which is like every single time. <laughs> I also have some serious theories about who's behind these. And I'm sure by the end of reading the book, you probably do too. Mm -hmm. But we'll get into that like next episode. I love theories. I'm such a conspiracy theorist. All right. At the end of the 1980s, the music industry began to change with the introduction of the group NWA and their incredibly successful album Straight Outta Compton, which was one of the first albums classified as gangster rap that was full of songs about street violence and the explicit realities of what was happening on the streets of LA. The album was pulled from most radio stations, concerts were canceled, and police and communities started banning performances and trying to stifle the rap revolution, which of course only made people want to buy their albums more and made gangster rap a success. NWA eventually broke up in the early 90s due to band politics, and most members went on to form successful solo careers. One of the members being Dr. Dre, who would again be influential in changing the face of rap music. Most people know Dr. Dre because he signed Eminem and Eminem is the famous white rapper. You know, if you don't know who Eminem is, you've been living under a rock. I mean, I don't know anything about rap, but I do know who that is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. After the NWA split, Dre went on to form Death Row Records with Suge Knight. Death Row Records quickly became a success with the launch of Dr. Dre's first solo album, The Chronic, which featured newcomer Snoop Dogg, frequently on the album. Suge Knight, as CEO, was a titan in a red suit. He was known for intimidation tactics and wasn't afraid of resorting to violence to get his points across. Suge Knight, who was born Marion Hugh Knight, got the nickname Suge from his mom. She referred to him as Sugar Bear. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But eventually it was just shortened to Suge. He grew up in Compton and played football and ran track in high school played college football, and went on to do a short stint in the NFL. After playing a whopping two games for the 
LA Rams, Suge left the NFL and began working as a concert promoter and a bodyguard for celebrities. He then went on to create his own music publishing company. His first monetary success in this company came after getting Vanilla Ice to sign the rights for his hit Ice Ice Baby over to Suge's company, because apparently one of Suge's guys, Marion Johnson, had written parts of the song. Suge allegedly confronted Vanilla Ice in his hotel room and hung him over the balcony by his ankles to get him to agree to his terms. Shortly after the incident with Vanilla Ice is when Suge and Dr. Dre formed Death Row Records. But like, Vanilla Ice? Mm -hmm. Ice Ice Baby? Of course. (laughs) It's just, the whole thing is so ridiculous. It just makes (laughs) me laugh. (laughs) I know, so many times uh, while reading the book, it just feels like things that seem so small were like actually mm-hmm. huge things to them. Like, yeah, I'm going to hang you over a balcony by your ankles because of it. Because right. of Ice Ice Baby. Right? <laughs> so funny. He's a white Canadian rapper. You think he's going to go far? I think he'll be fine. Shug was a supporter of the street gang, The Bloods, and often had gang members do his dirty work for him. And when I say supporter, I mean supplier. He was allegedly a key player in the drug and gun supply for The Bloods. He eventually opened a private, appointment-only Las Vegas nightclub called Club 662. 662 spelled out M-O-B on a phone number pad, and M-O-B stood for Members of Bloods. Suge Knight rose to such a place of power that he felt untouchable, and quite frankly, he appeared to be. I tell you all of this because these two stories cannot be told without him. And so today we're going to just talk about mostly Tupac, And then next week we'll talk about Biggie Smalls and police corruption and conspiracy theories and all that jazz. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Tupac Amaru Shakur was born on June 16th, 1971 in the East Harlem part of Manhattan. His parents, Afeni Shakur and Billy Garland, had both been active Black Panther Party members in the 1950s and early 70s. And the Black Panther Party was a socialist political organization that was the most influential Black movement organization of the late 1960s, although some would refer to them more criminal than political. Quote from Afeni Shakur, I wanted him to have the name of revolutionary Indigenous people in the world. I wanted him to know he was part of a world culture and not just from a neighborhood. His mother, having separated from Tupac's father before he was born, worked hard to provide for him and his sister, but they did not have an easy life moving often, and sometimes living in shelters. The little family moved from New York to Baltimore, Maryland. And Tupac studied the arts, such as acting, poetry, jazz, and ballet, at the Baltimore School for the Arts. He loved music, then listened to all genres, and while at school, he and his friends would beatbox and rap together. His lyrics were those of rebellion, highlighting the injustices of the African-American people, and he rose to fame with these lyrics, and he quickly became a spokesperson for not just his generation, but for generations to come. When he was in high school, they moved to Marin City, California. And that was just basically a neighborhood of low-income project houses. His mother became addicted to crack, and life just got harder. Tupac began selling drugs to help provide for his family, and he sold on the streets where his mom was buying her supply. Can you even imagine Mm -mm. selling drugs and potentially selling to your mom? Yeah. Ugh, can't imagine that. Nope. He gravitated away from a life of crime to focus more on his music and eventually was picked up by Interscope Records. And he launched his first album, Tupacalypse Now, in 1991, and it reached certified gold status. But despite his best efforts to turn his life around, Tupac kept finding himself in legal trouble. In October of 1991, Tupac filed a $10 million lawsuit against the Oakland Police Department for allegedly brutalizing him for jaywalking. It was settled out of court for $43,000. And there is pictures. You can find the pictures on the internet. And he is like bruised and bloodied. Like his face is just black and blue. And he says that police did that to him. Oh, wow. I definitely missed that Which is awful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In August of 1992, Tupac was attacked in Marin City. And his gun that he had pulled out but dropped had been picked up by one of his attackers and fired a six-year-old bystander was shot dead. Tupac was not charged in the death of the child, but he blamed himself. And the family filed a civil case against him, and an unnamed record company, it is assumed to be Death Row Records, paid somewhere between $300,000 to half a million dollars to the family. 
On April 5th, 1993, Tupac was charged with assault after allegedly throwing a microphone and swinging a baseball bat at rapper Chauncey Wynn from the group MAD at a concert. On September 14th, 1994, he pled guilty to a misdemeanor and was sentenced to 30 days in jail and 35 hours of community service. Tupac was supposed to star in the 1993 Hughes Brothers film, Menace to Society, but was ultimately replaced after assaulting one of the film's directors. He was found guilty and served 15 days in jail. In October of 1993, Tupac had an altercation with and shot and wounded two off-duty police officers in Atlanta. One was shot in the abdomen and one was shot in the butt. Charges were dropped. Yeah, right? Charges were dropped against him in court after it was determined that the officers had been drinking, initiated the incident, and had threatened him with a stolen gun. This incident, however, just made his rise to stardom faster because it solidified what he spoke about in his lyrics, about how the gun-toting gangsters turn out to be targeted young men in fear of their lives by the American justice system. In November 1993, Tupac was in New York and invited a woman, uh, a woman, Ayanna Jackson, back to his hotel room after meeting at a club. The two had consensual oral sex in his hotel room later. She returned to his hotel the next day and then claimed she had been raped by Tupac and three other men although Tupac claimed he fell asleep shortly after she arrived at his hotel. Tupac was arrested and convicted of first-degree sexual abuse, but acquitted of associated sodomy and gun charges. In February 1995, he was sentenced to 18 months to four and a half years in prison. Until the day that he died, Tupac denied ever raping her. However, he didn't fight his sentence as he said he did nothing to prevent assault from happening. The day before the verdict came in for his sexual assault charge, Tupac was going to the Quad Recording Studios in Manhattan to record on a collaboration with a rapper named Lil Sean. When he got to the studio, he was jumped by three men in army fatigues, and they tried to rob him. Tupac fought back, and he was shot. He crawled into the elevator and then crawled out of the elevator on an upper floor and made his way into the studio that Sean, Puff Daddy Combs, and the Notorious B.I.G. and others were in. Tupac was rushed to the hospital, and while being loaded up onto the ambulance, he was seen flipping the middle finger to onlookers. You can talk tonight. You almost say onlookers? Onlookers. That's definitely what I I almost said. Onlookers. They're looking with their eyeballs. Yes. Nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) He had to undergo surgery to have the bullets removed, and then against medical advice, left the hospital the next day so he could appear at his court hearing. Tupac believed he had been targeted by Biggie and Puff Daddy and that they were behind the shooting. Prior to this, however, Biggie and Tupac were friends, and Tupac would go and stay with Biggie anytime he was in New York. After the shooting, though, the East Coast versus West Coast war really stepped up, and any sort of friendship between the stars was completely disbanded. While serving his sentence, Tupac made a deal with the devil. Suge Knight told him if he signed on to Death Row Records, he would be taken care of financially, and his mom would be looked after as well. Since he was drowning in legal fees, and even though he was quickly making his way to the top of the rap scene, he couldn't seem to keep his feet underneath of him. He said yes and signed on to Death Row Records. On October 12, 1995, Tupac was released from prison after Suge Knight posted his $1.4 million bond. Tupac released All Eyes on Me, which was his most successful album under Death Row Records, and he was taken care of by Suge. He had bought Tupac's mama house and took care of all the legal fees, but things weren't really sunshine and roses in the Death Row family. Tupac grew weary of Suge's aggressive business style, and he wasn't being paid all of his royalties that were due to him. Tupac and Suge still at least carried their mutual hatred for the East Coast rivals at Bad Boy Entertainment, which of course was Biggie Smalls and Sean Puffy Combs, as well as others. Tupac's lyrics on his All Eyes on Me album were blatant insults fired at the East Coast rappers because Tupac continued to blame them for his being shot. Tupac even made claims that he'd had an affair with Biggie's wife. But eventually, Tupac began to get tired of the feud, as did Puffy and Biggie. Actually, most rappers were really tired of East Coast versus West Coast, Crips versus Bloods, but not Suge Knight. He was dead set on overtaking the East Coast and even began setting up an East Coast division of Death Row in Manhattan. While working on his next album, The Don Killuminati, The Seven Day Theory, which is often just referred to as Machiavelli. In future, it'll just call it Machiavelli because it's easier to say. (laughs) Tupac began planning his exit from Death Row Records. He began pulling away from Suge Knight 
instead of hanging out at strip clubs, he began taking up cooking. Oh, that's sweet. He, I know. <laughs> and he started up his own production company called Euphanasia. And the nail in his coffin is often said to be when he fired his attorney, David Kenner, who was Suge Knight's lawyer and the guy responsible for making problems disappear at Death Row Records. Dr. Dre, being fed up with Suge Knight's gangsta antics, had already left the label, and Suge was not prepared to lose both key players of Death Row Records. While attending the MTV Awards in New York in early September 1996, Tupac was quoted saying, We're businessmen. We're not animals. He told an interviewer who had asked him what would happen if Death Row crew met the bad boy crew inside. It's not like we're going to see them and rush them and jump on them. While at the awards, Suge Knight invited Tupac to join him in Las Vegas to see the Mike Tyson versus Bruce Seldon heavyweight title fight three days later. Tupac felt uneasy about attending and told his fiance Kadada Jones as much. He at first accepted, then waffled saying he had to go to Atlanta to deal with some family matters. But then after much persuasion from Suge Knight, he agreed to attend. Kadada tried convincing him to wear a bulletproof vest. Oops, sorry. Totally just kicked shit. <laughs> I'll read that again. Sure that I'm awake over here. <laughs> <laughs> I keep playing with my slippers under my under my desk. <laughs> Kidada tried convincing him to wear a bulletproof vest, as they were both worried that this event wasn't going to end well. Tupac left Kidada at their room at the Luxor and headed to the casino, with only one of his normal bodyguards, his other bodyguard Kevin Hackey, having been recently fired by Death Row Records. Upon arriving in Vegas, his other bodyguard Frank Alexander found out that neither himself or any other of Tupac's bodyguards were permitted to carry firearms as death row hadn't secured the proper clearances from the Las Vegas PD. Alexander was nervous about Tupac's vulnerability with only him as protection, and he was unarmed. Tupac was making the best of his night, however, playing blackjack, and he cashed out ahead of the game and headed to the MGM Grand where the fight was taking place. He had to wait for Suge outside the room where the fight was being held because Suge couldn't possibly have given him his ticket in advance. It was a weird, I have all the power move. He might as well have lifted his leg and peed on him. Really? <laughs> sure. The two men, like, <laughs> totally the same thing. <laughs> totally. Like, he's just, yeah, very possessive, but yeah. had to, yeah, had to no. be the dominant big yeah. dog, you know? I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the two men sat together at the fight but it was over in less than two minutes, with Mike Tyson, who was an honorary member of the Death Row family, winning the match. Tupac was excited, and having seen many fights of his, was looking forward to congratulating him after the fight. But Suge had other plans. They had to leave suddenly, with no reason given. Suge grabbed Tupac by the arm and dragged him out. And as they were leaving, one of Suge's boys, a blood named Trey Lane, approached them and whispered something in Tupac's ear. Alexander, the bodyguard, could see that something was wrong. Trey pointed out a lone black male named Baby Lane Anderson, a Southside Crip who had apparently jumped Trey earlier with eight or nine of his buddies and stole his death row medallion. Tupac, feeling the need to impress Suge, since he wanted to have a cleaner exit than Dre had had from death row, aggressively approached Baby Lane and started laying punches into him. Baby Lane went down immediately, and he offered no resistance while being stomped on by Suge and the other Bloods. Eventually, bodyguard Alexander was able to pull Tupac away and hauled him to the nearest exit. The others scattered soon after when the hotel security showed up. He went back to his room, told Kadada about the fight, and then the beating, and he changed his clothes so he could head to the 662 Club, which of course is Suge Knight's club. Tupac met the death row entourage outside the Luxor, and was informed by Suge Knight that he would be riding in Suge's new BMW sedan with him, even though Tupac wanted to drive his Hummer with Alexander riding shotgun. The caravan of vehicles stopped at Suge Knight's Vegas house to see the new Death Row logo that had been painted at the bottom of his pool, because, you know, priorities. Right. <laughs> and then they were headed towards the Strip, with Tupac's bodyguard in the vehicle behind Suge's BMW. Instead of taking the back entrance to the club, Suge drove to the front entrance so Tupac was on full display, making Alexander very nervous. The caravan stopped for a red light at Corville Lane, a Chrysler sedan immediately pulled up on the BMW's left side. It was filled with a group of young women who were trying to catch Tupac's attention. And only moments later, a white Cadillac rolled to a stop slightly in front and to the right of the BMW. Witness reports said that the Cadillac contained four black men, two in the front and two in the back. And one of the men in the back extended a 40 caliber Glock through the open left rear window. 
and began shooting at the passenger side of Suge Knight's BMW. They discharged 10 to 15 bullets, and then the Cadillac peeled away, turning right onto Corville, away from the strip. When the bullets started flying, Tubok tried to climb into the back seat, and he was hit four times in the process. Two bullets hit him in the chest and ripped apart his thug life tattoo, and two hit him in the hand and the leg. Instead of calling 911, Suge Knight made a U-turn against the oncoming traffic, and the rest of the caravan did the same, jumping medians as they headed to the strip. The scene of the shooting being effectively abandoned. The Cadillac got away, and Suge's BMW was stopped by two bicycle cops who were only able to catch them because they had lost two tires in the shooting. Okay, I was wondering. (laughs) I I was like, wait, what? (laughs) How do cops on bicycles stop a BMW? (laughs) The cops pulled their guns and ordered Suge out of the car and made him get on his knees. He had blood on his head, and they told the officers he'd been shot in the head. Emergency response vehicles were on scene swiftly and loaded Tupac into an ambulance and rushed him to Las Vegas University Medical Center. He had lost a great amount of blood, had a shattered lung, which was removed in surgery upon arrival to the hospital, and he went under, underwent surgery again in the morning. His prognosis was guarded, with doctors only giving him a 50% chance of survival. Friends and fans held prayer vigils outside the hospital, and Frank Alexander and Tupac's mother, Afeni Shakur, sat by his bedside. Shook Knight disappeared after the shooting. He had been told not to leave town, but he did whatever he wanted as usual, and was later spotted in Beverly Hills. He did eventually return to Vegas to talk to detectives with three lawyers present, and it was the only time Las Vegas PD would ever interview Knight, and he was apparently very unhelpful. Great. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. Tupac died in hospital on September 13th at 4.04 p.m. from respiratory failure and cardiopulmonary arrest. He was only 25 years old. Suge Knight arrived at the hospital shortly after his death. Reporters noted that his supposed gunshot wound on his head was barely visible and looked more like a scratch than anything. He went in, he briefly spoke with Tupac's family, and then left not 10 minutes after he arrived. Shortly after his death, Afeni Shakur, Tupac's mom, filed a civil racketeering case against Suge Knight, while he was already in custody and dealing with a criminal racketeering case. Afeni Shakur accused Suge Knight and Death Row Records of, quote, a pattern of fraud and deception while dealing with her late son. Knight claimed in rebuttal that Tupac in turn actually owed him money that he'd advanced to him, but Afeni fought that by asking how it was possible that Tupac's albums could generate more than $60 million but he received less than $1 million in royalties. I don't know how royalties work, but that sounds fishy to me, man. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really make <laughs> sense. In November, just two months after Tupac was shot, Death Row Records released his final album, Machiavelli. But Death Row was beginning to crumble. Suge Knight was serving time for violating his parole when he and Tupac attacked Baby Lane Anderson at the MGM Grand the night that Tupac was killed. And his artists were all trying to leave the production company most of them fearing they would wind up like Tupac. Two weeks after Shook was sentenced to a 90-day diagnostic examination, which I don't really know what that means, mm-hmm. but he was incarcerated for 90 days. Okay. <laughs> for whatever reason. Biggie Smalls was shot dead in Los Angeles, much the same way Tupac had been. And Shug Knight was pinned immediately as the prime suspect. The investigation into Tupac's murder was slow and didn't reveal much. The people in the white Cadillac took off, Witnesses scattered at the sound of the gunshots, and the crime scene wasn't properly secured. According to Frank Alexander, who was in the vehicle behind Tupac and Suge Knight, the shooter had been sitting on the right-hand side of the Cadillac in the rear and had reached over the passenger sitting on the left to fire the shots. The only description he could give was a black person wearing a skull cap, a beanie cap. At least a hundred witnesses watched as Tupac was shot, and this was the best description they had to work with. The Cadillac disappeared into the night as chaos ensued after the shooting. Las Vegas PD failed to follow up with other members of Tupac's entourage who could have possibly identified the men in the Cadillac. They also failed to follow up on a lead from a witness who had spotted a white Cadillac similar to that of the shooters. The prime suspect was Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, who was of course the Crip member who had been beaten at the MGM Grand. He denied any involvement in Tupac's death, even stating that he was a fan of Tupac's music and was later killed in a gang-related shooting. There was also talk that Biggie Smalls and Sean Puffy Combs were responsible for the shooting, but both men denied the allegations, and there was no proof to link it to them. 
There's been much speculation, articles, books written on the death of Tupac, but unfortunately, still 24 years later, we have no answers to the question, who killed Tupac? To quote Kathy Scott's The Killing of Tupac Shakur book, years after the primary investigations, it's still anyone's guess. No one was ever arrested, but no one was ever ruled out as a suspect either. Yikes. Damn. It's crazy. Like you said, there's a hundred witnesses. That's a busy street. That's a busy street. How is there no more information about this? Right? So that's where I'm going to end part one. And then we'll dive into Biggie next time. Perfect. Yeah. But my biggest frustrating things from this are, um, instead of following the Cadillac, Suge Knight turned around and drove the opposite direction. He didn't phone 911. And he totally like, he let them get away. Yeah. Totally. Like you have a so whole had, entourage following you. That could have like, followed that they, guy. Like, hit that guy. Like he just shot one of us. Go get right? him. Right? Instead, he and turned the whole thing around. Everybody around. They're yeah. hopping meridians to go the opposite direction and like yeah. flee the crime scene. Right. It's fishy. It is fishy. And everything leading up to that, also very fishy. Like very, very controlled fishy. and very... Like, because yeah. normally Tupac would go and talk to Mike Tyson, right? And he'd mm-hmm. be like, we'd right. sit, they'd have, have some beers, they'd probably smoke some dope, you know, like whatever. Yeah. But this time he wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shug's like, no, we, we got other things to do. Right. And then he tells people he got shot in the head and he has a scratch on his head. Like, I don't even know right. how he would have planned that one out, whether he just uh, yeah. gouged his head with something. Possible. Yeah. I've seen lots about that, that he really didn't have anything at all. And he, it's not like he went to the hospital or anything for that. No. So there's no, medical he wasn't treated for it. Yeah. There's no medical records to confirm that at all. So it's also another like, eh, did that happen? I don't know. Did it happen? Or did you just stage this whole thing? Right. But then you talk to like, when you look it up, other people are like, there is no way that Suge Knight would put himself in harm's way. He lets other people yeah. do the dirty. dirty work. He's never around. But I think in this case, he had to put himself in harm's way. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And there was other like, like sci- more scientific reports about how the Cadillac had pulled up further ahead. So it right. would miss him. Yes. That's right? what so. I was thinking because, yeah, you did say that it pulled up further ahead and it was on the right-hand side or whatever. So I was thinking about that. Like if he was shooting, was he shooting more... I know they were kind of leaning like across the passenger, so it makes it a little bit more difficult, but shooting backwards rather than straight across. Backwards rather than straight yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I, what was in my mind, which justifies it a little bit more, you know, makes it a, a little bit more sense if you're going with the Suge Knight. And the, it makes it just a little bit less likely that he's going to get hit by a stray bullet. Right. Not impossible, but. No, but I mean, all these guys are, oh, I'm so tough. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. all about the guns and the violence and all that stuff. So, you know, and you're taking out a big player like that. It would kind of be like, kind of have to, to get your hands dirty a little bit or yeah, be more involved. And maybe the whole point of it is for people to question that exact point. He wouldn't put himself in harm's way. And exactly. maybe that's the whole point of it is for people I mean, to think that. I don't think he's a stupid man. Like, I think no. he's a smart guy because he look at the things that he's done. Right. But yeah, to put yourself in the way of bullets to yeah. potentially take out your employee that's leaving to start his own record company. Are you going to, are you going to do that? Yeah. It's hard I to mean, say. I mean, there's reason. I why. think he did. Yeah. <laughs> we know Michelle, cause you spilled those beans on like the fourth episode. <laughs> I know. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but, but now I do. Now, you know, who Shug is. Yeah. Yes. And things are lining up and I'm like, mm, yeah, I could see yeah. it. I could see yeah. it. Uh-huh. But yeah. uh, there's a reason why it hasn't been solved after 24 years. But I mean, there's lots of there's lots of reasons. There's, there's a whole bunch of reasons. reasons. Yes, multiple. But we'll talk about that next time. That's right. Next time. Yeah. Yeah. So next time we'll we'll cover cover those reasons, um, which mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the LAPD, and of course we'll talk about Biggie and his his history, his how he how, how he got he to be who he was, and yep. How he was murdered and right. yeah. So um obviously I used Labyrinth by Randall Sullivan for this. I also used Wikipedia, timetoast.com, and biography.com. Mm-hmm. Well mm-hmm. done. 
Thank you. Like I said, it was fun. But there's so many, like Tara and I were saying, there's so many people in this book mm-hmm. that it's hard to keep it all straight. <laughs> who's who and who's important and who's just like this right. name rapper that you don't actually need to reference. And Exactly. And for myself, somebody that knows none of these people to start with, like most people have an idea of who a lot of these people are. I do not. I mean, I've heard names, but I never yeah. really been into that whole scene or whatever. So for me, I'm like, this is a lot of names and a lot of connections and a lot of things to figure out. So I know yeah. what's going on here. So, and of course I listen to the audiobook because that's what I generally do at least the first time. And yeah, listening to the audiobook, it was a little hard to <laughs> keep all the people straight. And I'm like Googling names so I can like at least match their faces to these names so I can try to follow it a little bit more. So yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of red strings, a lot of connections. Yeah. 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 I definitely feel like Charlie Day in that meme, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) That we've referenced like for every case. It's just, that's just us. That's us. us. That's going to be my (laughs) podcast studio that I just made. I'm going to have a designated wall for red string and pictures and goals. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, I was going to say something else, but I totally forgot what it was. Hmm. Hmm. Can't oh, I was going to yeah. say, I remember. <laughs> okay. Um, if anybody's interested, there's a really good series on Netflix called Unsolved. Yes. It's about Tupac and Biggie murders, and it's really good to give you an idea of who, who's who in the zoo, mm-hmm. um, and it was really well done. Yeah. There's and also it, a, a Tupac movie on Netflix called All Eyes on Me, which was also really well done. Mm, yes. I started watching Unsolved, and it is pretty much exactly the timeline or how the book Labyrinth is laid out, I found. It's mm-hmm. very, very yeah. similar. So it was very helpful for me to watch that. I haven't finished it yet, but at least I'm like, okay, I know what's happening here. So I am gaining yeah. some information. So that's a good sign. <laughs> yes. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Yay for me. And I'm doing my job. Yay. Yay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'll definitely finish watching that as well and maybe read the book one more time because so much. I know. And, you know, just turn on California Love by mm. Tupac and Dr. Dre because yep. it's my fave. Yep. And, you know, just enjoy. I was totally going to ask you, like, what's my homework? What do I need to be listening to so I can get into the, the feels? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, California Love for sure. Uh-huh. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I got my notepad. I'll literally write it down right now. <laughs> Changes by Tupac is probably one of my favorite, this like straight Tupac songs. Um, well, Big Papa by Biggie Smalls. Uh-huh. Got it. <laughs> and um, Hypnotized, but I know oh, you know well, Hypnotized. Well, I know that song. <laughs> I sing it to you my guys are, all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, if you don't remember, Tara's cat is Biggie. Yes. He's actually a big fella, but it's short yes. to Biggie. So if but he gets sung all the time, Biggie, 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 can't you can't see? You see? Yeah. Sometimes you want to just hypnotize me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I've said that to him many times and even played the song for him. Like literally have held the phone up and be like, Biggie, listen, this song is for you. He's like, and he's just like, yeah, get away from me. And then my coworkers are like, why are you doing that? (laughs) It's very pointless. And I'm like, no, he has to know his roots. (laughs) He has to know. He's got to know. know. He's got to know what he's all about. He's got to find himself through music yes yes <laughs> there's also a song about um I, I, it might just be called mama by mm. tupac which is also really good um go on to spotify okay tupac playlist got it just tupac radio and you'll you'll get it it's perfect good. and we'll come back to this question in our book club episode when we talk about yeah. what songs we thought of well while yeah. reading this book. So we'll revisit this question, but I did want some homework before the next episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I actually, the other day I got on my hands and knees and I scrubbed my kitchen floor because I was like, where is that going? <laughs> I scrubbed like, yeah. I follow a cleaning company on Instagram and probably lots of people do because they've hit like 10 million followers or something. Well, but if you haven't heard of them, go clean co they're from Calgary. They're amazing. And mm my house has never been cleaner because she has all of these amazing tips, but yeah. So I'm like scrubbing my kitchen floor and I'm like, well, I need good tunes. So I just turned on Tupac radio and I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. This'll do. This'll do. (laughs) Warning. All the lyrics are explicit. 
just yeah. so you know. Yes, they are. Yes. <laughs> one of my, and I've said before, but one of my favorite things to do is while I'm listening to music is to read the lyrics because I like to, yeah. that's just what I like to do. And yeah, I've done that for some of Biggie's songs and I'm like, oh, wow, I haven't picked okay. up on this. <laughs> like obviously some of it I have, but yeah, more of the, I don't know, the not as well known lyrics. <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even now doing this and then you go back and listen to some yeah. of their music you can you can pick up on some of the things that they're they're rapping about like right. biggie has a song called who shot you yeah and that's like after tupac got shot at that recording studio and so then it just kind of egged him on and yeah right it's just yeah. a whole thing whole thing but yeah so many things yeah 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 i love it so i'm ready for some fluff and stuff Right? Always. Yes. Always. Of course. Um, so it's kind of a fun question because my answer to it is no. No. But okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. And I know I know what your answer is, but I want oh. you to tell me. Yeah. Okay. So well, my now question I feel is <laughs> what if I don't answer correctly? Oh my God. The question is simply, have you ever been to Vegas? Oh, well. Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> and what's your favorite thing about Sin City? You know, it is such a crazy place and I don't usually like cities at all. Obviously, like my vacation recently was going out to literally the middle of nowhere and that to me is just the best. But mm -hmm. for some reason, like Las Vegas is just different. It's a different mindset that I go into it, I guess, but it is such a crazy place and you can go there so many times and just every time experience something totally different. Cool. So I love it. It's hard to say. The first time I went... It was for a soccer tournament, which was so cool. Mm -hmm. So I got to play soccer in Las Vegas against like- in like 90 degree heat? Oh, well, it was in February, but I still got a sunburn. <laughs> but I got to play like against a uh, Mexico team and like all different kinds of places. That was, that was really Neat. cool. Not that that's a common um, Las Vegas experience, but that was a really cool, cool time. But uh, during that trip, me and one of my friends brought Heelys, you know, the Heelys, the wheels in mm -hmm. your shoes. Wheelie sneaks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We brought those and that's how we went up and down the strip and we went through like Caesar's Palace, like healing. And like, this was not when Healy's were in, I should say, like, this was like a long time after, but we're like, Hey, do you have Healy's? Cause I have Healy's and we should totally bring them. So that was amazing. Highly recommend that. That was super fun. Um, I've gone with my girlfriends and that was just a uh, <laughs> mad, mad time. Uh, I jumped off the stratosphere, which super fun. Highly recommend. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I would recommend don't go super hard the first day you get there because you'll want to, but it will ruin the rest of your trip. <laughs> that is what you, I will say you think, if you've never gone to Vegas before. I think you might miss parts of it. Yeah, if totally. You, if you go too hard. You might, you might stay in your hotel bed until 4 p.m. and you might miss <laughs> things. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. It's, it's such a crazy place. I, and I love so many parts of it and just seeing the, the crazy buildings and the crazy yeah. people. It's fantastic. I would, I think everybody should experience it. And so my husband's been to Vegas mm -hmm. and I never been, my brother's always like, you got, we should go like family trip to Vegas. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I yeah. don't think that sounds great. I think I would like Vegas. I think I would mm -hmm. like Vegas a lot. Yeah. I would love the shows. I would love the the lights. I would friggin' love the people watching. Like, oh my God. I love people watching. But Desna, I've said, if we ever go to Vegas, we're not going together. Because mm. he would go and sit at a blackjack table and just play blackjack and never see the light of day or the Hoover Dam or like right. anything. And I would want to murder him. Yeah. And then you right. would have to talk about me on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, <laughs> if we're desperate for content, Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'll <laughs> keep that on the back burner. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm not really inspired by any stories lately. We need some good content. <laughs> I'll take your husband to Vegas. Yeah. Michelle, I bought you some tickets to Vegas because you guys need a vacation. <laughs> no other reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yes, I would really like to go. Mm. My brother goes, well, he used to go every year. He'd call me on my birthday from Vegas every year because there's a big bike conference because my brother is all about fixing bikes and riding bikes and cool. And I mean pedal bikes, not motorbikes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just went this year for um, the Western Veterinary Conference, which is which, pretty, jealous. pretty wild. 
pretty wild. Um, not a lot of time for actual Vegas activities at all. It's exhausting, but very cool. You can get like three years worth of continuing education at that conference. So. Oh my God. It's like <laughs> brain melting. It's just, there's so much information coming at you at all times. And then yeah. it's like, on top of that, you're not just going back to your hotel room. It's like, okay, now we have to go see the strip and we got to do these things. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and you went with our boss. I w- yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. We had a good Pretty day. fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, make sure to answer our question as well. Obviously, let us know what you think about the episode. You can email us at murderandmerlot at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at murderandmerlotpodcast. Twitter at murdermerlotpodcast. And wow. Wow. Again. <laughs> Whoa. That what happened off. there? You can find us on Instagram at murderandmerlotpodcast, Facebook at murderandmerlotpodcast, and Twitter at murderandmerlot1. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. We would love if you subscribed, and if you don't, you're dead to me. Yeah. And we don't have a book announcement no, for the don't. next one because I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Well, that's okay. We, we know for October we're doing spooky stuff. So Yeah, but it's coming quick. Like, I need to make some decisions here, guys. Yeah. And so. we, we have lots of, lots of time to do morning news, which are super fun. And we're getting lots of good responses from those two. And oh, yeah. I'm having a blast with them. (laughs) Same here. I'm happy to keep doing those until I figure my shit out. Yeah. Yeah. Any good recommendations? I mean, we could always do a book we've already done, like we've already read. That's true. It would make our lives easier. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll think about this. Because I mean, we had a year worth of books that we read before we started recording this. You're so smart, Michelle. This is why (laughs) my partner in crime. (laughs) other half of your brain. That's right. Cause sometimes my brain is lagging. Yeah. Well, time. <laughs> or sometimes September hits and it's like, I don't know how we're in October. Yeah. What happened? I have no idea. Don't know. Don't know. All right. Remember to drink wine because it's not good to keep things bottled up. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I can't not wave. I can't I do it. I know. You try and you can't. <laughs>